Let us now read together what we confess in Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 12. There we find God's word summarized as follows. Why is he called Christ, that is anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. Our only high priest who by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and who continually intercedes for us before the Father, and our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit, and who defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. Why are you called a Christian? Because I'm a member of Christ by faith, and thus share in his anointing, so that I may as prophet confess his name, as priest, present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him. And as king, fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life. And hereafter, reign with him eternally over all creatures. After the sermon... We will sing from hymn 52 to stanzas 1 and 3. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, this morning's Lord's Day on a consideration deals with ordination. Quite appropriate. But this morning, two elders are about to be ordained. And when we think of ordination, we usually think of the ordination of office bearers in the church, of the ordination of ministers, elders, and deacons. However, Lord's Day 12 deals with the ordination not of office bearers, but of Christ and of Christians. As a matter of fact, there is no Lord's Day in the Heidelberg Catechism, that deals specifically with the ordination of the special offices in the church. And why not? Well, because the most important ordination for all of us, whether you are a minister or an elder or a deacon or a regular member sitting in the pews, is the ordination as Christians. The specific office that those have in the church is subordinate to the office of Christian. You must be a committed Christian, first of all. If you are not, then you cannot be an office bearer in the church. Now the question is, what exactly is a Christian? Well, you may say we call ourselves Christians because we belong to Christ. But please realize that calling yourself a Christian entails quite a few things. That is the way it was right from the start with the Lord Jesus himself. During the time that the Lord Jesus walked on this earth, the people had no difficulty calling him Jesus. For the name Jesus was a common name. They did, however, have difficulty calling him Christ. For the name Christ is a special name. It means anointed one. 
It means someone who is especially chosen and equipped by God. But now the same thing is true about being called a Christian. For the name Christ and the name Christian are very closely related. And so we had better realize the claim that we make of ourselves when we call ourselves Christians. What do people see when they look at us? What kind of reputation do we have? Do they see us as Christians? In answering this question this morning, as you listen to the sermon, I don't want you to be busy thinking about others. No, begin with your own life. Begin there. And once you do that, then you can also look at others. I'll preach to you about Christ and the Christian. Then we will look at three things. First of all, Christ and the Christian as prophet. Secondly, Christ and the Christian as priest. And finally, Christ and the Christian as king. As I said, the claim that Christ made of himself, that he is the anointed one, is quite something. For to be anointed to any office was a unique occurrence. Think about the way in which you were installed in the various offices in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed before they were allowed to enter into their offices. To show the uniqueness of the office, the Lord God commanded that oil be used and a very special oil had to be used. He gave very specific instructions concerning the composition of that oil. No substitutes were acceptable, and no one was allowed to reproduce, to copy, the special making of that special oil. The people were to be impressed with the fact that this oil was specifically meant by the Lord for a very special purpose. It was meant to dedicate someone for a special task in special service to the Lord. For this anointing oil pointed to the Holy Spirit, which would enable someone to carry out his duties. The Lord wanted to show with this that he alone enables man to carry out his task. Now then the Catechism tells us that Christ was anointed as well. However, he was anointed not with oil, but with the Holy Spirit. For the oil served only to signify the presence of the Holy Spirit. Christ was anointed with the Holy Spirit to carry out the task which the Father had given him and which he had taken upon himself. The anointing with the Holy Spirit had a double significance. In the first place, it signified that he was ordained by God the Father to be our chief prophet and teacher. Christ did not exalt himself to be made our chief prophet and teacher, nor it was only because God the Father had designated him from the eternity to take on the great and difficult task of mediator between God and man. As a matter of fact, it was the agreement that they had as the three persons of the Trinity. They are one, and they agreed that they would divide up those tasks in this way. And so Christ was only obedient to the calling of God, his Father. In the second place, the anointing with the Holy Spirit means that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry out his difficult task. 
This was prophesied already in Isaiah 61. The words with the Lord Jesus read in the synagogue at Nazareth, his own hometown. And he read from that prophecy, as we know from Luke 14, verse 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And after he read those words in that synagogue, he said to his former fellow townsmen, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Christ acknowledges here that at that point he was indeed the anointed one, that he is the Christ. God the Father himself appointed and enabled him to this task through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had already come upon him at the time of his baptism in the Jordan. It came down in the form of a dove. It was at that time that the Father in heaven indicated to his Son that his Holy Spirit would always be there to sustain him during his mission on earth. And we say that we see that throughout his ministry on earth, the Holy Spirit comforted him during his many temptations and difficulties and strengthened him. First of all, he did that to him as his special task as prophet. What is the task of a prophet? Is it only to foretell the future as the Lord reveals it? Well, the scripture teaches us that to be a prophet was much more than that. In the Old Testament, we find that prophets were ordained for the task of proclaiming the will of the Lord. According to 1 Peter 1, verse 11, they had the Spirit of God within them. They proclaimed to the people the past dealings of the Lord with them and what that meant for their lives in the present and in the time to come. But we, with Christ, we have the highest prophet. Indeed, he uses the words of the Old Testament prophets. But ultimately, it was Christ himself who prophesied of his own triumph over the seed of the devil right after the fall into sin. It was Christ himself who said of himself that he would crush the head of the serpent. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see that Christ points to his own coming. He uses the Old Testament prophets as his mouthpiece. The Old Testament prophets could only preface their words with the phrase, Thus says the Lord, for it was the Lord speaking through them. But Christ, during his earthly ministry, could say, Truly, truly, or Amen, Amen, I say to you. He could speak of his own authority. And so he is the supreme prophet. And he prophesied as no other could. And he quoted the prophets of old to show that he is the one they could and should expect. And the greatest and highest prophet, as the greatest and highest prophet, he did not waver in his testimony. He told of the revelation of the Father concerning himself and what that meant for all kind, for all mankind. And the most important task he, that he had as prophet was that he could tell the people about their salvation through grace alone. 
He could tell them about the wonderful works of the Father for all those who believe, for all those who put their trust in him. But now his prophecy also meant that through him every man and every woman could become a prophet as well. And that is why the second part of this Lord's Day asked the question, why you are called a Christian? The answer is given that we are a member of Christ by faith and thus share in his anointing. And that makes us, that makes you and me prophets, prophets of the Most High. Christ is also the supreme prophet for us. We have been anointed by the Holy Spirit to prophesy, therefore, in the name of Christ, for we belong to him. And what does that mean? What does it mean that we are prophets? Some people think that only the minister, the elder, and the deacons are the real office bearers. And so they're the ones that should proclaim the word of God. They're the ones that should do the work of evangelism, and we should just sit back. But the Apostle John tells us, as we read together, that we are all anointed by the Holy Spirit. A minister, elder, and deacon are indeed special office bearers. However, we are all, we all have received the general threefold office through Christ. And you can receive the special office only if you first have received the general office through faith in Christ. And so each and every one of us has a duty to prophesy. What do we do as prophets? Well, as prophets, we first of all have to listen. To listen to what God has to say because we must be his mouthpieces. For if we are called to be a mouthpiece of the Lord, we must also allow the words of God to come from our mouths. And you can only do that if you also diligently study God's word. And that also means that you cannot keep quiet about that which the Lord has spoken to you about. And he speaks to you every Sunday, and he speaks to you also every time you open up the scriptures. And so let me ask you, are you a true prophet? Do you speak to others about your salvation in Jesus Christ? And then you have to begin close to home. Parents, do you speak to your children about your salvation? Are you a prophet in the home? Do you speak about the fact that you are a sinner and that you need to be redeemed through the blood of Christ? And do you also express to your children the joy of your own salvation? Are you a humble person in that regard? And what about with regard to others, to those in the community? Do you talk to them when you have the opportunity about the greatness of God and the joy of your salvation? In other words, are you acting as a Christian, as a Christian prophet? How many people are brought to faith because you have spoken to them? It may be that you sit in these pews every Sunday, week in, week out, twice every Sunday. But that's not enough. The preaching of the word must also be applied in your daily living. It must not be so that when we leave this building on a Sunday, 
that then things can go on just as if nothing, nothing has happened. No, to be a prophet in this world means that God's word has a profound effect on us in everything we do and say. Now, an elder is in a special position to act as a prophet of the Lord. He may come into the homes of the people and come with them with the word of God. It is his task to open the scriptures and to help the people to see what their task is in their homes and in the world. They may also come with the comfort of God's word when there is sadness. And they may apply God's word when there is a backsliding to get the people back on the right path. And you may also come with God's word during times of joy, during times of anniversaries, for example, or other significant events in the life of the congregation. To be an elder is a beautiful task, for then you are given a special office wherein you can exercise your office as prophet. You can model to the rest of the congregation what it means to be a prophet in your own home and in your own life. It is a special task that God gives to the special office bearers in the church. The elder and all of us are in the service of truth, the only truth, as it says in 2 John. And that also means that we must be willing to lay down our lives for the truth as Christ has laid down his life for the truth. Which brings us to our second point. Before the fall into sin, Adam was also a priest. He had to offer himself as a complete sacrifice to his creator. His whole life was dedicated to the Lord his God. And he had to make himself a pleasing offering to God. But... Adam lost that position when he fell into sin. But now, this office has also been restored by Christ. Already in the Old Testament, Christ was the priest for the Old Testament believer. For it is only through him that you can receive the forgiveness of sins. It is only through him that you can be restored to a relationship with your Father in heaven. But that was the case already in the Old Testament. Aaron was only a type of the one who was to come, namely Christ. Aaron and his sons had to be united with the special anointing oil. Christ, however, was anointed with the real thing, with the Holy Spirit. Aaron's priesthood had an end and was passed on from generation to generation until Christ came. But Christ was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That is, an everlasting priesthood, a priesthood which is not passed down from son to son, but which remains with him forever and ever. And through him, we too are eternal priests. In the Old Testament, a priest would stand between God and the people and make sin and guilt offerings on behalf of the people to appease God's anger because of sin. In that sense, Christ was a priest as no other could be. He appeased God's anger in a way that only he could do, for he was not only a man, but he was also God. But he was even more than a priest. 
He was not only the one who presented the sacrifice, but he was also the sacrifice himself. He presented himself as the sacrifice who would take away the sin and the guilt of the believers. After his unique sacrifice on the cross, all the altars throughout Israel had to be torn down. When Christ breathed his last, the curtain in the temple at Jerusalem, which separated the holy place from the most holy place, was torn in two. The tearing of the curtain indicated that the last sacrifice had been brought. It indicated that Christ has entered heaven itself for us so that we may now, because of him, have direct access to God's throne. We may now be in God's presence. For it is there that Christ continually intercedes for us. We have Christ in heaven to plead our cause before God, the righteous judge. We do not have to pray to Mary, as the Roman Catholics do, or to anyone else. Christ can point to himself as the unique sacrifice, as proof that he paid for us with his own sacrificial blood. It is in that way that we also share in his sacrifice, for he is the high priest for us. We are priests as well. And now we must also present ourselves as living sacrifices to him. Through the anointing in Christ, our hearts are directed to heaven where Christ is. In this way, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and in our entire bodies. And in that way, our bodies and souls are temples of the Holy Spirit where the sacrifices of thankfulness offered up to the honor of God. Do you know what a priest does exactly? Well, a priest offers. A priest denies himself totally. And he puts everything that he has at God's disposal. That's what you and I must do as priests. All of our possessions, our homes, our family, our toys, even our very lives. You put everything at God's disposal because everything belongs to him. That's hard for us, isn't it? And let me ask you, is that also what you do? How well do you function as an ordained priest? Are you willing to let everything go that you have here on earth because of Christ? You know what else a priest does? A priest also prays. He asks God for strength and wisdom. In his prayer, he goes to the altar of incense to Christ, who is our intercessor. And then through him, our prayer will reach the throne of mercy. That is why we pray in Jesus' name. For it is through Christ that we may be absolutely assured that our prayers are acceptable to God. As such, we must pray for each other. A father is a priest in his own family. He shares in the anointing of Christ. For that matter, also a mother is a priest in her family. And that is why the daily devotions are a very important party, a part of the duties of a husband and father. Know the power of prayer, as also Job did when he prayed for his children. 
Know that the prayer of a righteous man, as James says in chapter 5 verse 16, is powerful and effective. And fathers and mothers, are you also priests in your own homes? And are you teaching your children to be priests? That is, do you teach them that they must also offer themselves up for Christ? And do you also teach your children how to pray? Once again, an elder must also model to the rest of the congregation what it means to be a priest. He must be willing to make sacrifices. And he must do so cheerfully. He must show that he is also willing to let go of his earthly possessions. And that he is ready at any time to meet his maker and leave everything that he has here on this earth behind. An elder also must make other sacrifices. He must sacrifice his time. You cannot be an elder if you're not willing to use some of your leisure time to attend to the business of the church. It's not always easy to make those sacrifices. And it is not always easy on their families either. And therefore the wives of elders and deacons also have to make sacrifices so that their husband, so that their father can serve in that special office. To be an office bearer in the church is a very important task. As an office bearer, you acknowledge that God proclaims his rule in every aspect of your life, that he is also not just our prophet and priest, but also our king. He rules from eternity. And that brings us to our third and final point. He defends and preserves us in the redemption which he obtained for us. In the Old Testament, we see that God leads his people to battle. And he wins the battle for them. But if they want to conquer the enemy out of their own strength, they lose the battle. And it is a lesson that the Israelites, the Old Testament Israelites, had difficulty learning. For it is hard for us as people to have such a trust in God. But trust in God we must. And Christ did win the battle for you and for me. He won the battle not just against physical enemies as he did in the Old Testament, but these victories only pointed to the great battle which he had to wage against the devil. But Christ won that fight. He won that battle against the evil one. He did not want to receive the kingdom from the evil one. No, Christ wanted the kingdom of God. And now he has all the power in heaven and on earth. And no one can snatch that away from him. And from the heavens he rules his own, those who belong to him, those for whom he waged such a courageous battle. And God's rule must also be seen in a spiritual sense. For Christ as king also rules in our hearts. The rule of God in the heart of the believer cannot be brought about by human efforts. It is God himself who establishes his rule in our hearts. 
He did this because he first of all overcame the rule of the devil. The devil is still prince of this world. But he does not and can never rule in the heart of the believer. And therefore every believer must also obey the rules of his kingdom. God rules in the heart of the believer. At least that is how it should be. And knowing that the believer may be assured that he can indeed fight against the devil and sin in this life. He can fight and be certain that he can and will overcome the evil one in his own life. For he bears the name of Christ. For he is called a Christian. And then we must also recognize the rule of God in the hearts of others. We must acknowledge that Christ is not only the head of the church, but also the king of the church. For he rules the church with his word and spirit. That means that when we fight against sin and the devil in this life, we also fight against this sin in the life of the church. Christ rules. Christ rules here in this church. A church member must do everything in his power to promote the kingdom of God. And that means that he must be active in every way possible. And it means, rather than detracting from our fellow church members, that you promote and honor the name of every brother and sister. That is especially the task of the elder. An elder takes care especially of the weak and the vulnerable. He does not favor the one over the other. No, he especially looks out for those who are on the fringe. God's spirit must rule in the hearts of every believer. Satan continually wants to take over our hearts. He wants us to be feeling sorry for ourselves and to concentrate on our own needs. And those who run on the fringe of the church, they need special attention. Because these are people who are concentrating on themselves, what they want for themselves, and not what God wants from them. But Christ's rule does not stop at the doors of the church. Christ rules over all things. The devil is only prince over those who have rejected the rule of Christ in this world. And the devil is claiming more and more territory every day. You can see that all around you. Whereas Canada could at one point still be considered a Christian nation, today more and more we see that the devil makes greater inroads. But as Christians, we must continue to defend and promote God's rule in this world. And so we must speak out and evangelize. You and I, we are anointed as kings. God's rule must be seen in us and through us. It must be shown in our lives, in the life of the church, and in the life of the world. And this can only be done in obedience to God. In all things, our only motivation can be to promote God's kingdom. Christ has redeemed us from the slavery to sin. He has bought us free. And that has to show in our lives. It must show in the way that we act and speak. We're all soldiers, brothers and sisters, soldiers in the army of God. And God has blessed us to fight against sin in our own lives and all around us. And again, an office bearer has that task especially. 
He is one of the commanding officers in God's army. And therefore, he must show leadership. He is the one who leads the charge. He is the one who comes with the armor of God and hands it out. Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse 13, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. And what is that armor? Well, he speaks about the belt of truth, the, bre- the breastplate of righteousness, and the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. Those are the weapons that God has given to us to go into battle with. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we are all engaged as ordained office bearers in the battle against sin. God has enlisted you in his army. It is already a victorious army. And God has also given you office bearers to lead the church. Those office bearers are God's beautiful gift to you, to the church. God does not leave you alone. He does not leave you without leadership. He does not leave you without weapons. And so use those weapons. We have all been ordained. You have been ordained as prophets, priests, and kings. And he has given you a wonderful position in his creation. And he has given that position to you because of the blood of Christ. And therefore now we can also sing with full confidence, Thou hast redeemed us by thy blood and made us kings and priests to God. Oh, may we wage the glorious strife and win, like them, the crown of life. Amen.